Welcome to the Ocean Cruises podcast hosted by Andy H. This week we are speaking to Ryan and Sophie from the YouTube sailing channel, Ryan and Sophie Sailing. Ryan and Sophie were both based in Stockholm prior to their cruising life. They both lived the corporate life before they decided to turn it in and live a life full of adventure on the high seas. They live aboard Polar Seal, which is an owner's version Beneteau Oceanus 40 with lots of upgrades. They started their journey in Northern Europe before heading into the Met for a short stay before getting ready to cross the Atlantic to the Caribbean. They recently sailed to the Azores for hurricane season and are planning to sailing back to the Canaries and across to the Bahamas in the winter. We talk about their life on the water, how they transitioned to life aboard, what to look for in a sailboat and their plans for the future. You can learn about Ryan and Sophie on their YouTube sailing channel, Ryan and Sophie Sailing. Follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and download the audio on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So, um, I, I know where you are, um, but let's tell everybody else where you are <laughs> and what's going on and how you got there, actually, because that's an interesting story. Well, I look at you right now and I'm like, where are you? Uh, <laughs> but here we go. We are currently in the Azores, in Sao Miguel, in Ponta Delgada after a crossing from Bonaire that took us through Bermuda and Horta. We arrived here yesterday. Yep. After our first single-handed, no, double-handed passage in over a year. Yeah. And uh, we're still a bit tired from it. <laughs> but excited to talk to you. <laughs> How did it go? How was the passage? I know you had like some communications problems. That was probably interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of view the passage in two parts. It really was. I mean, we originally were just going to sail from um, Bonaire directly to the Azores, but we, the first 10 days of us getting north, we couldn't get east at all. So we ended up pretty much heading directly towards Bermuda. And then about a day out, we kind of started talking like, should we stop in Bermuda and get a burger and a beer? Because that was quite a hard passage. I mean, we had a headwind the whole way. So we had the wind between 60 and 70 degrees apparent. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, the boat was just bouncing and smacking and slamming. It was good wind. It was really consistent wind, but it was hard. You know, it was just hard sailing. So we we elected to go to Bermuda, which was a good thing we did because um, our VHF broke going right into the harbor. <laughs> uh, and so... Yeah, yeah, it, it was lucky, but we, you know, for like safety reasons, I elected to let's get this VHF fixed. And I wanted to upgrade it anyway. So we flew one in from the US. And by the time it arrived, we missed our weather window. And then we ended up having to spend another two weeks in Bermuda waiting for essentially waiting for wind. Yep. Uh, it was just nothing out in the North Atlantic. So, uh, and then the second part of the passage was almost all down, like downwind beam reaching type sailing very nice sailing yeah. so it ended up being uh that part and then like yeah the only failure we had then was our uh iridium go failed so uh while we were okay a lot of people following us and our tracker thought that we had like just yeah just stopped in the middle of the atlantic and uh um yeah yeah i think it's worth mentioning here that we're very public with where we are and so if you go on our website you'll see our live tracker and our live tracker has not recovered and still show that we are in, in the middle, middle of the atlantic uh cell service yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 
so that was uh yeah that was about it it took us 10 days from bonaire to bermuda and then another 14 days right from bermuda to horta 15 ryan 15. 15. so okay. i mean if you take the two, if you treat them as two separate passages you actually made really good time we actually did yeah. we were very impressed with uh polysteel so uh, for context polysteel is a, a beneto oceanis 40 from 2007 and it's considered to be one of those uh more modern production boats um which old school sailors would say are not great to cross oceans or go offshore <laughs> right uh, but we found that Polyseal performed uh, exceptionally on those two passages, both yeah. upwind and downwind. Uh, and we averaged between six and a half, I would say around six and a half knots Whoa. on both passages. No, I think the first passage we were a, a bit slower, but we, we purposely were slowing the boat down on the first passage because uh, just with the wave conditions, we were slamming pretty hard. Yeah. right so we tried to we were actually struggling to get the boat to slow down um so we had a, quite a bit of reef in the sails and it was great conditions but it was we were just smacking the waves too hard so mm. we slowed her down i think we could have gone really really fast on that passage if we had a boat that could cut the waves the second passage definitely we we averaged probably six 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 and a half knots probably yeah so it was, it was all right for us yeah it's great for downwind that's really good mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think we, we probably had a couple of days where we did 160, 170 mile days, which is really, really fast for us. We can't do a 200 mile day in our boat without like breaking stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so that was like, we had a couple really, really fast days. Yeah, that's awesome. So just because I know that to go to the Azores for hurricane season wasn't your first choice. You, you wanted to just travel around the States, I think it was. Yep, that is yeah. correct. And then you uh, apparently not welcome there, or uh, you have a naughty history or something. I don't know. <laughs> my, my wife got denied entry quite a few times. <laughs> so it's really funny because, you know, I didn't realize that being a criminal would prevent you from going into the United States, which, when you think about it, is a logical explanation, yeah, right? I mean, cocaine. Um, but <laughs> two years ago, we we've always wanted to sail to the United States because that's where Ryan is from. And I have this uh, anthropologic fascination with the United States. Um, so the, the only thing is when you sail into the United States, you cannot enter on a visa waiver, which is what, what most tourists travel on. You cannot travel on an ESTA if you enter on your private boat. You have to have a proper uh, tourist visa, B1, B2. Or on an airplane, actually. Or you can travel, uh, really? Yeah, on a private airplane. In yeah. a private yeah. airplane, okay. Oh, okay. We have a private boat. We do not have a private airplane uh, yet. <laughs> uh, so when I applied for that B1, B2 visa, uh, Raina had just spent a couple of months in the United States, and we are not married, and the visa agent in Paris decided that it was a little too much of an immigration risk and denied me that visa. So in the same run, I've lost my visa waiver privileges. So I could not just fly in and out. And now I needed another visa to enter, um, which was difficult for me to get because that now that visa denial was now on my permanent record. So it's been two years that we have been unable to travel to the United States. Um, and I still cannot enter. So the United States were not an option this year 
unfortunately. So if you apply, because an SD you can just get online. That's just, you go, you just go on the website and you click for it, like $20 or something. So if you get denied a visa to actually travel there, you then cannot get in on an SD for two years afterwards. That's right. Yes. Your visa, your, uh, your visa waiver privileges are revoked. They were revoked for me the same day. Oh, nuts. Yeah, I know. Because, I mean, in hindsight, you could have actually just flown into the States on an Esther. That's and right. met up with, with Ryan on the boat. Yes. Yeah, but who knew? Right, okay. So, yeah, so that's us trying to do the right thing uh, yeah. and being punished for it. But uh, I think in the end, it's, I mean, it's a pain for us right now. But in the end, uh, in a few years from now, I think it will actually be better for us. So. We'll be okay. So a few months ago, we talked to an immigration lawyer uh, who was able to give us really good counsel and well we've actually just applied for a green card uh so we are moving our residency to the united states and we're hoping to go to annapolis where my big vision is to have a place where we can have parties during the boat show <laughs> that would be cool what has brought this on because you're um you're both residents and or citizens of, of Europe now, what, what has brought on the desire to uh, change where you're based legally? Well, literally it's this visa issue. Yeah. That is, it's a bit, it's a little bit sad, but uh, for us, the way to be able to come in and out of the United States was to be a, res a resident of the United States. Mm -hmm. Because at this point I was flagged as an immigration risk. So any type of non-immigrant visa for me would have been difficult to get uh so we're like all right well i guess we'll just move there i will actually become an immigrant yay yeah the length you have to go it's it's so straight i my uh wife's from the middle east so we like just constantly have to jump through hoops to try and get anywhere it's it's crazy but uh, yeah we tried a few times for the states because i i used to go there a lot for work i used to go to houston then we used to go to like florida all the time to like disneyland and stuff and i always wanted to take her and the first time we went she got an appointment and obviously you have to like book the flights and you have to like book a hotel before exactly. you actually go there. So we like yes. quite a lot of money on you know, flights and hotels. Yes. Got to the um, embassy and they said, oh, which country are you from? And she's like, oh, I'm from Syria. I was like, yeah, you're not coming in today. We were like, what? And they, they, had, they had a list of, I don't know, like 20 Middle East countries. They were just like, yeah, if you're not, um, if you're on, if you're on one of these nation lists, you, you're not coming in. So it was like, oh, bugger. So um, I think that was, that was, oh, that was just before the election because I, I said, okay, if Donald Trump wins, you might never be able to go there ever again, <laughs> perhaps. So uh, let's, let's try before. And then we tried afterwards and then they actually did let her in. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, they actually did let her in. But then it was the same thing. They just got in there. It was just like, yeah, we can't process visas for anyone from these countries. Um, so yeah, it's pretty... Um, <laughs> pretty pretty strange I don't, I don't know the cool yeah it's one of those it's one of those things that you know you don't have a lot of control over and it's kind of it it dictates so much of your lives you know because we uh me not being able to enter the united states means no u.s virgin islands no puerto rico yeah, it's yeah, like a point. huge chunk of our plan to escape hurricane season that goes away so uh it's it's a lot yeah it really affected like COVID last year when we were in St. Martin because you know hurricane season was coming we didn't really consider going to the ABCs like we did uh, and you know the option is to go to the U.S. that's what everybody does and that option was off the table for us so 
that added like a layer of stress on an already stressful period of COVID last year of, you know, yeah. what do we do with our boat and hurricane season? And how do we make this work? And I mean, we did have an option of like taking Sophie off the boat and me sailing it to the U S to get it out. But then we're in a situation where Sophie's home is in a country she can't get to. Yeah. And, and that's not nice for her. So we didn't do that. Yeah, damn, Andy, we went into the dark topics really fast. <laughs> yeah, COVID, immigration. <laughs> All the pleasant stuff, yeah. So at what point did you decide that sailing back to Europe was, uh, was the way forward? Same thing. So we were in Bonaire at this point after having spent hurricane season in Curaçao last year. Um, and we really didn't have many places to go to escape hurricane season. We could have done the Caribbean thing, which is popular among cruisers, but it really isn't our jam. We like the sailing life because we like to sail. Yeah. And for us to go from Bonaire to Grenada, I really didn't feel appealing at all. We would have loved to go to the United States, but that was not an option. We would have loved to go to Canada, but Canada is closed. And yeah. so, well, the last option was to cross back to Europe and go to the Azores, which really isn't bad at all. We like it a lot here. Um, but yeah, that's that's how we decided. Yeah, I think we had I think we had three options really. The first was to go to Grenada or back to Curacao. We had overstayed our visa in Bonaire. Mm. We had spent a lot of time in Bonaire, even though we loved it there. Uh, so the first was to you know stay in the Caribbean. The other was to go maybe to Panama or to Colombia. Um, but that's got some complications with COVID right now. And then since the U S and Canada were off the table, the only really other option we had was to, well, let's go, let's go back around the loop. <laughs> uh, so, so and the thing is we're planning that next hurricane season will be in the United States and that Sophie's visas would be processed. So we actually need to come back. So when we were thinking through this, we're like, well, we need to get Polar Seal back to the U.S. next year. That means we need to do a full Atlantic circuit with the boat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we calculated the miles and it's by the time we get from Bonaire all the way around and then to the U.S., it's we're between, you know, seven and 10,000 miles of sailing in, in a year. We have like some, you know, we just did about 3,200 miles. So it's some significant sailing still left yeah. to do and we've already done a lot. So, yeah, we... Today is the rig. I'm sorry. How up to date is the rig? The rig is uh, five years old. Yeah. So she's, yeah, she's holding up well. She did. I, I need to do some thorough investigating after beating into the wind for 10 days. <laughs> yeah. But she's, yeah, we, we came through this passage, even though it was quite hard, really unscathed. Yeah. Uh, we have some leaks and things that we didn't even know about that we need to get um, cleaned up. But generally, the boat held up like much better than I thought it would. So that's good. And that was the yeah. first major sailing you've done in quite a long time. Because I, I suppose from when you arrived in the Caribbean, it was mostly just island hopping. Yes. Well, I mean, the word major sailing takes on different meetings, I think, as you <laughs> progress in your sailing. You know, yeah. I mean, I remember our first overnight passage in Sweden, which wasn't even overnight because the sun stays up so long. For us, that was a major passage, you know, just 24 <laughs> hours and doing it on ourselves. And, and then, you know, we... Um, we did our first Atlantic crossing, which was 17 days, just Sophie and I, and that was, that was major. And then yeah. we, you know, we got in the Caribbean and Island hopped and then we did a, we needed to get the boat from St. Martin to Curacao, which is about five days. And when we, and then that's a long story, but 
we, we didn't even think about we didn't it. even think about it we just loaded up the boat and sophie and i went offshore for for five days uh the, we knew the winds would be consistent and good and in a good angle so yeah we just we didn't fret about it maybe we should have more than we we did but for us five days has now become like well i mean we need to treat it seriously but it's it's not as it's, major and it's that, standard and that's a that's a yeah. big difference from you know five years ago when we did that first four overnight, years ago that, that first overnight, overnight passage thing, yeah. in, so, in sweden in the middle of the summer where the, when the sun doesn't set i think it's worth yeah. pointing that out because a lot of people just starting you know for them and overnight yeah i remember when we were in charbot when we first started on our trip and you know there's a lot of british sailors that go to, okay. to france Cherbourg is in france it's in normandy and we reached northern france yeah two months after leaving the dock in our hometown of stockholm yeah and i just remember because that whole way from stockholm down to Cherbourg, sophie and i did a lot of overnight sailing because we wanted to just get get going get moving yeah. and we met sailors there that yeah i've I've sailed 30,000 miles and I've sailed for 30 years and okay. Okay. Uh, how's the night? No, I, I don't sail at night. I've never sailed at night. What? Like, it, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's just like mind blowing, you know, but they, they just hop around. Uh, and for us, we got very comfortable at night quite fast. Yeah. It's, it's okay. You know, like yeah. each have their own style. Absolutely. Absolutely. Going off topic a bit. Cause I've got like a few things I wanted to go through. Um, when you do night sailing, do you rely on the technology that you have on board for your alerts, like radar, AIS, uh, wind alarms, that type of stuff? Or do you, do you just take it in turn, stay in the cockpit, see what's coming and treat it how it goes? So it really depends on where we are sailing. In a place like the North Sea, when you have a huge amount of traffic, of ship traffic, you have um, designated areas for big ship, the um, TSS, you have... Uh, fishing boats and crab pots, the watches need to be extremely active because you're constantly going to have something to monitor for on the trot plotter. When you're in the middle of the Atlantic on the other end, there is nothing to hit. Yeah. Um, you hope. Well, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, if there is something to hit, then there is really nothing you can do about it. Uh, so the, wa yeah. the watches are very, very different. So at night, when we sail very coastal, we're always up and the watch is very active. We are so always on the autopilot, but we check out the chart plotter a lot. But when we are offshore in the middle of the Atlantic, it really is the wind that, di that dictates if the watch is going to be active or not. Yeah. Not, um, not what we can possibly hit. Yeah, I think, I think in the, you, I mean, in the North Sea, honey, like, most of the boats, even the fishing boats had AIS and it made our lives easy, even though it was very complicated, but we definitely relied on the visual things that you kind of learn in the RYA courses and stuff. You know, what, what are the lights mean? How are they moving? Uh, and that augmented the technology that we had on the boat. So they worked hand in hand. And I think, I think, um, you need to, I think you need at night to know how to do the what is this light what you know is there something there type thing because when we got into the med it was very apparent quickly that a lot of boats did not have ais oh yeah so when we were doing you know when we were out at night we you know you have the ais you have the radar but we still had to keep a fairly active watch um and i would say i would say maybe the thing to say for our watches in the ocean sailing is that we kind of shift from 
like watching out from other ships to taking care of our boat like what's we're, we're all more, more more on watch like how are the sails behaving how is the boat behaving versus like yeah not hitting anything so at the end of the day the instruments are they're necessary i wouldn't want to go offshore without a radar and without an ais definitely not without a vhf and satellite communications mm -hmm. but there is so much more to that um than just our um nav equipment yeah. and experience as well i mean it's, it's like when you said there it's like any major sailing you know like it depends what your class is major sailing i think crossing the atlantic to anyone is major sailing unless you've just dotted across the pacific your entire boating career um but yeah it's just i think if you have enough confidence in your boat and you guys have got experience in dealing with that boat because you've done you've done quite a lot now then you can be a lot more comfortable when you do you know things. I actually think that when I talk about major sailing that like the North sea for me was major sailing. It was very complicated sailing there. there you don't have tides, a lot of tides and stuff like that. Yeah. You, well, you have the tides, which you don't care about in the ocean. You have the ship traffic, which you don't care about in the ocean. You have not a lot of room to sail to begin with. You might, you might just have like a mile or two corridor. You can get the boat through and you have, might have small, really, uh, really shallow shoals that you have to navigate through. Um, and so to me, that is actually, that is actually hard sailing. When you go offshore, there's just nothing to hit. So I'm almost more relaxed when we get away from the coast. It's just, if something breaks, you're a little bit further away from, from help. I think that's, that's a scary thing for a lot of people, but what would you say? I agree with you. I think that crossing the Atlantic is actually a lot easier than some of the passage that we've done, for example, between Gibraltar and the Canary Islands, where we encountered between 40 and 50 knots of wind, or across the Mediterranean, where the weather is just bonkers, period. Yeah. Or, you know, that passage between Bonaire and Bermuda, where we had to go through a notorious, difficult passage called the Mona Passage between Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. Uh, and we sailed through the Bermuda Triangle, which it was okay, but upwind, upwind is difficult. Um, those passages, those were the hard parts. Crossing the Atlantic, that was that was almost easy in comparison. It was just long. Yeah. So I guess that major sailing really takes a different meaning based on uh, your level of experience. I'm, I'm crossing over in um, uh, December with. I've friends Mandy and Alex and I was talking to my wife about it a couple of days ago because we just uh, we, we were just out for like four days in, in Spain on anchor and she was like you know it's going to be really complicated I was like it's kind of not like they were doing it in the 1500s you just like put two sails out that way and you know you you find yourself there like you really don't need to do that much yeah um, yeah. So, yeah in a lot of ways it's, it's kind of easier than some of those like little challenging ones that you're just talking about yeah. yeah in terms of the sailing crossing the Atlantic is actually fairly easy but you need to be prepared for uh, a much longer period. So in terms of the food, of your power supplies, of your entertainment, and you know, be mentally ready to be at sea for a very long time. That's, that's where the crossing is. But in terms of the sailing, it's okay. Yeah, I think, and I think you, know, you can get away coastal sailing without knowing your boat very well. But that's where the big differences, I think, with ocean sailing is that to be, you know, you might make it once or twice without knowing your boat, but eventually if you do it 
if you do it long enough, um, oh, we had something fall. Uh, eventually, if you do it long enough, stuff is going to break. And the better you know your boat, the easier it's going to be for you to get creative in trying to find a fix for yeah. whatever's broken. Uh, and I, I think that was our, I mean, I ha I've learned our boat front to back sideways and ups and down and we had a few things break on our first ocean crossing and it we, we managed to get stuff sorted like relatively quickly well because, you did yeah so not me and then i think the second the, i mean the second passage stuff didn't break because we have the boat sorted yeah so that's i think that's the bigger thing with those types of crossings it's like um you're just away from help and that that creates an unknown i was just thinking while we we're talking you know it's like when you drive uh, when you drive in California, like in the desert and you see the signs is like 180 miles until the next gas station. And, you know, all these thoughts start racing through your head. You're like, okay, should we stop now? What happens if we run out of gas? Like that's a long way, yeah. but it's, it's unlogical, you know, it's just a long ways. And they're just telling you that in case your tank is actually, uh, you, you know, really low. And I think that that happened to me. I think that happens to a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I would say that it's human. Yeah. And it's probably absolutely when you worry about ending up in trouble it's probably a good absolutely a good sign. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. push no. on the side of caution doesn't it which is uh what you need if you're crossing oceans in a 40-foot boat <laughs> yeah, yeah i think i think that's pretty i think that's pretty healthy so just because then you said before when we were talking about passages you said you actually really love sailing and that was one of the reasons why you wanted to like hop over to the azores and, and do do the circuit again and when, when you started off traveling the world on on the boat was it did you do it to travel or did you do it to sail and live on a boat? Um, Ryan, help me. I, I think for myself, I liked the idea of an adventure and I was always like this anyways, of going places that other people don't go. And for us in the sailing world, it's very hard to say this because people cross oceans all the time, but that's in our little community in reality, people don't cross oceans on their own little boat all the time. It's just we're in this network of like a couple hundred people that do that. And so we think it's normal. It's not a normal thing. And for me, that was like the excitement of it originally. It turns out I actually don't really care for ocean, long ocean crossings. I just get really bored and it's not <laughs> really my jam. Sophie loves it. But what it's turned into, I think, is we've we've discovered a lot of places that we would have never gone uh, a lot of people we would have never met um from really rich people that have really rich boats that are really cool uh, all the way to very like poor people that are just scraping by and we all are friends and we all see the same sunset and i think for us that has turned into something that kind of drives us a bit yeah wouldn't you say i agree with you but as you said i'm very different yeah and it's really funny because I never expected that out of me, myself. I'm a, I'm a very girly girl. I still am. Um, you know, I had a nice job. I would buy nice clothes. Uh, I never owned outdoor clothes before we started sailing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never expected that I would get hooked on offshore sailing. But, you know, when we started doing it, okay, on top of that, I'm seasick. Like, I'm really prone to mm. seasickness. Oh, really? Still? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. When we, when we uh, sailed from Horta to Ponta Delgada, which is 100 nautical miles, barely, not even 24 hours, um, 
I started the sale with um, a little, a little, a little vomito. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Within within one hour, I was there. That was your own fault, though. It was my fault. I was trying to work on the laptop. It didn't work very well for me. <laughs> but um, so yeah, I'm I'm prone to seasickness, and it's it's okay. I've learned to manage it. Uh, but so I never expected. Points of sale, like when the boat moves in a certain way, or is it just? Ah, I mean, upwind will definitely trigger that. Um, a quarter beam wave is more likely to yeah, trigger as well. Um, choppy seas, you know, when the waves are really close to each other. Yeah. But um, I think the other thing that triggers it for you, just something I notice, is that if we don't sail for a long time, yeah, of you course. Get, I mean, if we're sailing constantly, I find that you you yeah. get into your rhythm a little bit. But we, we all get we all get rusty. Yeah. But yeah, so I never expected that I would like offshore sailing or crossing oceans. But I find that after a few days, um, I mean, I really enjoy it. I love the disconnection. I love the motion of the sea, um, watching the sunset on watch, listening to music, and uh, just living to the motion of the boat is something that I adore. And when we arrived in the Azores after a 15 days crossing, that was uh, exceptional weather-wise, but uh, challenging in terms of losing our satellite communications. And, um, you know, it's, it's a long passage. We had uh, also confused seas, which didn't help. But when we saw the Azores, I felt like I was doing, making one with the boat to the point that I almost didn't want to break the bubble that we were not living in. And um, I mean, that's the nature of a passage, right? You arrive at destination eventually, but I just loved being in that state of feeling like I was one with the boat so much. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little hooked. You sound like a sailor. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not sure. Is that a good thing? I'm not sure. Well, you are, so yeah, I suppose it's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> so just in terms of like the boat, um, the boat that you got, that's the Oceanis 40. Yeah. Which boats are on the shortlist and why did you end up picking the one that you chose? Oh, wow. You want to talk about that, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, when, when we bought our boat, we had just finished sailing lessons. So we had two weeks of like formal training. That was our log. That's, that's the entirety of our log book at this yeah. point. And we just wanted a boat. Um, and to be very honest, the original plan for, was, uh, was for us to buy a new boat. We were looking at a Genoa uh, 379 or 389. Oh, they were just in the middle nice. of changing it over. And we, were, we were literally like minutes away from buying one on the phone after our, like we were walking away from the boat that we took our sail training on and on the phone with the broker, uh, trying to broker a deal on it. But we ended up not doing that. And that was the best thing that happened to us. The deal fell through. And we, a, a couple of weeks later, we ended up finding, we, <laughs> we ended up started looking at used boats, which we hadn't done yet. And then we realized very quickly that we could get a used, we could get a used boat, but a bit bigger for what we were looking at new and for a lot cheaper. And so we ended up finding a, like the, the Oceanus 40 and a few similar type boats. And we found a couple for sale in the UK and we made a few offers and they just, they fell through. And then we found Polar Seal, which had a different name at the time. It was called Mixer uh, in Southampton. And we put an offer down and it was accepted. And 
took it and yeah that was it <laughs> so really at this point our entire experience of boats and boat buying was the single summer boat show in sweden where we had seen janos benitos before and other locally made boats like the lignettes or the um arcona and we really felt that the benitos were the the, the best ones it's like the more the more homely the best quality the best well we yeah. didn't really know the difference because we didn't understand what halberd rassies were to benito's and now we kind of understand we never we've never seen a we had never seen a halberd rassi at this point we just knew they were very expensive yeah <laughs> probably sweet aren't they aren't yeah sweet? so for us at yeah, this point the, yeah i know they're super expensive they're like at least four times what we paid for our boat so at that at that time, the absolute best boat you could buy was a Benito Oceanis Forty. Yeah, and we got this two cabin. We we always knew we wanted a like an owner's version because of the the how it was configured and what we wanted to use it for. That was about all we knew. And then I would say, the things that we thought we needed in a boat and we were looking for turned out to be not the things that we we should have been. You know, like I was really. You know, it was like, oh, how's the cockpit? Oh, how's the galley? And those things are important, but there was a lot of other like sailability things and other livability things that, you know, after five years on a boat, we've we've learned that this is this is actually important stuff as well. And um, so, yeah, I think that process was good. Polar Seal is a fantastic boat. We've upgraded her a lot. We're kind of at the point where there is nothing left to upgrade. I mean, there is some things to upgrade, but we we ask ourselves now, like, if someone were to buy this boat, they're they're buying equipment that is found on like a fifty foot boat, and is are they actually going to spend the money, you know, to have that or go up a notch? So we've kind of stopped doing a lot of work on on the boat, and we're just now kind of upkeeping her. This is a lie, Ryan. You are never down upgrading Polar Steel. This is an absolute lie. Come on, you know it. I, I was going to ask, like, what is coming next? Into yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> like, was, yeah, like there is list, not, yeah. there is not going to be a new truck plotter installed. On yeah, the but road. that's like maintenance at this point because yeah. they're breaking. <laughs> so. I'm not like, I'm not like adding things like a washing machine like we just did. And yeah, you're not doing that. You just did that, that was really cool. two months ago. Yeah, yeah, the washing machine was awesome. Yeah, yeah they're really good. You just put, you, uh, built it onto the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, for us, just how we started living on the boat and it, where we've been has changed what our priority. Oh, man. Sorry about that. There's a what big, is this? big noise outside. I think it's an outboard motor. <laughs> We're in a marina. Sorry about that. Oh, um, so hopefully they stop that soon. I think there's like some charter boats across from us. I think they're showing people how to use use the equipment without killing. Sounds like the electric toilet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I think our priorities changed a bit. Like you know, different parts of the world, and like you know, the Med has certain amenities that we you know we didn't have to think about things. In the Caribbean, it was a bit different. Uh, one of the things that we found everywhere was laundry was expensive and hard to find, and we kind of just got sick of it. So yeah we got a washing machine i won that i yeah. won that battle that had been a battle I? sophie had been fighting for quite a while and she's yeah. won so was, that's fine. really hard to find as well i know I, I saw one i saw a photo of one like a year ago i was like oh wow that's amazing i thought about it i was like oh if i could invent something obviously you never do you think about it and you don't um but yeah they're just not available you can't buy them anywhere 
No, they're really hard. We have a couple of friends who uh, run an online chandlery and they are currently trying to get their hands on those washing machines to sell them. And it turns out it's really complicated even for uh, distributors and dealers to get their hands on those washing machines to sell them. So uh, we're, uh, we're trying to find a, a new solution. Yeah. To get yeah, because so many people yeah. have watched our installation and they they have contact. Yeah, where did you get that? Blah, blah, blah. And so hopefully ours doesn't break because yeah. we don't have another solution. By the way, <laughs> if, you listen, if you listen to this podcast and you are a new boat owner with uh, aspirations to cruise the world, a washing machine is absolutely almost indispensable yeah Some of the vital things that you never put on the list when you first looking for a boat. yeah it's, it's really good <laughs> to have it sounds yeah. it sounds like a luxury you know but we paid 800 euros for our washing machine and in the three years that we cruised before owning the washing machine we spent more than yeah, that on laundry easily way yeah. more yeah, yeah uh, if you go if you go to into like an expert not even an expensive marina if you just go to a normal marina you can pay like five euros or six euros for a load of washing well, we did laundry in Horta. We had a lady do it for us, and it was 90 euro right there. 92 euros, yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had a lot of, it was like two months of laundry. I mean, that's like yeah. a post Atlantic Crossing laundry where you have sheets for three people and like abundance of like anything that needs to be washed after you've crossed an ocean. So yeah. it was not extremely surprising, but still like 90 euros. That's a tenth of what we paid for the washing machine. So yeah, it was like a week. For for food if you're cruising yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. absolutely just to get something washed so i mean you've done the um you've done the island hopping life i mean you've done it you've done it like a little bit in the mediterranean and you've done it in the caribbean and you've also done longer passages um would you there's a different type of boat that's suitable for both these different types of traveling um yeah do you like your boat for both of these types of sailing um 100 percent. right yeah. okay that's cool and so is, is there a boat that you would prefer than the boat you've got now so can i answer this question ryan i just made i filmed i recorded a video about how we equipped our boat to cross oceans today oh, and nice. uh yeah i'm very excited i think it's going to be a good one um but when we bought Polisil, I don't think that we bought Polisil with the sole intention to do offshore sailing. No. We bought our boat so that it would be a good house for us. Yeah. And the reality is that we have done island hopping and we've done ocean crossings too. But for one day that we spend at sea, we spend at least a week on anchor or in the harbor. And it's our house um, most of the year. I mean, it is, it is our home. So she needed to be comfortable. And I think that she's great for that. Now to cross oceans, um, and it's actually something that I said in, in this video and that I was quite proud of because that is really how I feel. But um, I do not subscribe to the whole blue water sailboat philosophy in the sense that I believe that the ability of a boat to cross an ocean really comes down to the owner's mindset, skills, and knowledge. Uh, and that I think that if we talked, instead of talking about blue water sailboats, we should talk about blue water mindsets. And we should talk about seamanship, about preparation, about equipping your boat and risk management, because that is what is going to make an ocean crossing 
safe and comfortable, that is not the type of boat that you buy. I, I agree with that up to about 99%. So like <laughs> there's, there's definitely a world where a lot of us dream, you know, it's like people go out and buy the, the, the Jeep Wrangler and have it like fully decked out for off-roading and blah, 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 because they live that dream, but they never do it. That ro- yeah. that Jeep is only ever going to drive on the road. And that's 99% of us, but there is a small subset of people that do end up going to very unique and challenging places. And then I do think there is something about making sure your boat has a certain equipage level. Um, Equipment. Sorry. No, but the boat is designed also in a certain way. You, you're not, you don't want to, I mean, people do take fiberglass boats into the ice, but it may not be the smartest. You know what I mean? It, it might not be the best idea to do that. You can do it and people do do it. So in, in that sense, Sophie's philosophy is spot on. Uh, but I think there is a, a sub, like going down to the Southern Ocean and hanging out between Antarctica and South America, you may want a certain level, but that's a very small subset of people, even though we that's all might even smaller subsets right but my point is even though we all might dream about that and think we're going to do that so um yeah but i I agree i think the way you've worded that is really good uh sophie and for me i i find personally there's a tug of war between living comfortably and making sure the boat is in a has the ability to do certain things sailing so i love our boat but one thing that drives me nuts with the boat is that um we are somewhat limited in how we configure our sails because of how the boat's designed. You know, the old Benetos and Genoes, all the old sailboats had metal tow rails and you could put, yeah, you could attach blocks to, to wherever you wanted. And you, I mean, the setup was unlimited and that does not exist on this boat. So we have to get very creative with how we do certain things um, That's sometimes, fair. sometimes. And that is fair. So I, I have a little bit of a personal tug of war between 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 that but he asked a question about an ideal boat for us yeah so here here is the problem Andy. <laughs> two different opinions i mean you're a sailor <laughs> you're a sailor as well let's talk about your dream boat can you afford it <laughs> no yeah. well no That's... actually I, I could but i'd be stupid if i paid if i spent every penny i had on the boat <laughs> so I what, what's your dream boat at the moment, I'd probably say it's the new Moody, I think fifty four DS. Yeah, that's a nice boat. I'm, I'm yeah, here. I'm, I'm right. I'm right here with you, Indy. It is yeah. a beautiful boat. That's a nice boat. Yeah. Yeah. We also need a million. <laughs> we, we actually met the owner of a brand new Moody forty five DS in yeah. uh, Bonaire before we left. Um, great, Two of them. Great people. Yeah. They're so nice. Uh, amazing boat. Beautiful. 45 is actually affordable. I think you can get that now for about, well, it's like about 300,000. So no, it's not affordable. It depends. Um, but it's no, not. We, we could not afford that. <laughs> no, but if, if, uh, if you got your average family who had retired and they'd accumulated a house that's paid off, they, they could buy that. You know, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people could get that. Whereas the 54 is like, no. <laughs> yeah. No, when we uh, when we bought our boat, it was the absolute most expensive thing that we had ever bought. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, when you look at the world of boats, it's uh, it was pretty cheap. Um, but yeah, so that was the boat that our money could afford, and uh, I think that we did an amazing choice. I love our boat. But you haven't answered the question. Which is my dream boat. Okay, so uh, every. <laughs> 
anything Garcia exploration. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> our, uh, I think our dream right now is actually that we, we would like a catamaran uh, and the exploration cat is freaking amazing. But, oh, it's it's yeah, so great. But, uh... That's about a $2 million boat. <laughs> <laughs> because that 40 footer is like 600 grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they, it's amazing because they're coming out with a 60-foot monohull, and that that starts at 1.7. It's way more expensive than their 52-foot cat. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. Um, it's yeah, it's a lot of change there. But we can dream. There's one. There's a 45-foot exploration in the marina here. We've walked by it a few times. Um, so yeah. uh, you so know, cats? like you said, you're thinking you're going to go because we're, we're we're going towards cats. Probably in about three years, yeah. but when we start traveling, we'll, we'll be going cat direction. Have, yeah. have you had any thoughts about which brand or particular model, anything like that? Well, yeah. Gar Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> we <Reality>. just <laughs> we just need to uh, we just need to make the money. No, but I think that what Ryan and I are realizing at this point, it's been three years that we are sailing full time, is that we like the adventure that uh, the sailing life offers us and we would like to go to a little more adventurous destinations like Norway, Svalbard, Patagonia and while we adore our boat we would want a little bit thicker hull, a little more insulation, a little uh, bigger cabin so that we can take crew more comfortably um, and so this is not the boat that we would want to take to those destinations. Um, so with that said do we have the money to buy a new boat right now? The answer is no. Uh, but he's asking about, I mean, you're asking about catamarans specifically. Like, yeah, we've we've talked yeah. about that Sorry. a bit. And I think for us, like, we value the space a bit more. And so we both, I mean, as we've traveled, we've learned that on the boat and as a liveaboard, you're with your partner 24-7, 365. They're, you know, like most couples at home you know you see your partner maybe an hour or two a day in reality if you add it up um and so we're together all the time and i think a catamaran offers the ability to have a bit more space and private uh like privacy for yourself which we all need you have two boats in one you yeah, can have one boats. whole so, <laughs> you fight in the middle and then you just go and then yeah and i think it's important for us because we both are working i mean i work full-time not on the YouTube project and then Sophie's full-time on the YouTube project. So, and we have a few other things going on. So having the ability to have it just a bit more space for us is important. And if you think about what uh, Sophie said earlier about, you know, for every day we say I would probably be on anchor for seven days or so, you know, I, that ratio fluctuates, I would say, but, um, you know, having it, the comfortable home, even though maybe a catamaran doesn't sell upwind so well, there's, there's value to that because you're spending more time in that environment of being on anchor, or being in the marina or, you know, on a mooring ball. So then sailing a quind. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, no one wants to sail upwind anyways. So <laughs> and we're not racing. We're not racing the catamaran. That's we, Sophie and I don't race. That's how you break boats. So we just want to cruise. And so we'll wait for the weather. We'll wait till we're able to sail the cat in a good way. And that's what we want to do. But even, you know, second, the catamaran market's just like, first off, it's, it's hard to get a, a boat that's affordable. Second off, I am quite disappointed with like the production cats and how they're designing the newer boats. I just, they don't interest me. They're made for a charter market, which is exactly what happened with the Benetos and the Genos. They've all turned into like, let's just satisfy the 
charter market and there's this hole that's in the marketplace of cheaper boats that are made for people who want to live on them and that's very i think that's for me that's really frustrating because there's like yeah i can't afford a a garcia um but i could afford something but nobody's <laughs> there's nobody there's nobody making exist. that something nobody is filling that hole for people and if they are it's just junk it's made for like use it and beat it for you know three four years in a in a charter company and then sell it off to somebody that's going to pay way too much for it and doesn't understand what they bought and i don't know i'm just rambling i'm pretty passionate about that i i i think there's a big big hole in the marketplace sorry andy you opened a can yeah. of worms here the pandora yeah. box well no me and my wife have like, been having those conversations over the past few months because we've been looking at a few cats no, not because we're getting one anytime soon but i just i just like to know what my future looks like at any given time so if i'm like oh let's do this in 10 years i'm like okay let, let's research it now um, mm. so yeah we've been having a look at quite a few of them and uh I think you're pretty limited to getting a catamaran that is obviously made for charters because pretty much all of them are. And you just, yeah. you just have to modify it. Yeah. You know, yeah. turn one of the bedrooms into an office, upgrade all the equipment, change the way the cockpit yeah. laid out. You just have to mess around with them to make them suitable to live on. It's funny you say that because we're literally just off a Saba 50 from Fontaine Peugeot where the owners were like, well, we bought the owner's version, but the owner's hall still has two cabins and we're going to have to transform that entire cabin into a bathroom to suit our needs. So, yeah. Yeah. So if yeah. you get to that range, they're not even made. But I mean, again, again, it's like, oh, here's a million dollar boat. And you're going to go spend another 100, 100 or 200K to modify that boat because it's not even what you want in the first place. So. Okay, okay. But let's back a few steps here because we live in a generation where we get to have expectations on boats. You know, if we look back at 30, 40 years ago, owning a boat in itself was yeah. so luxurious. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and here we are buying 40 foot boats like it's nothing in our in in our mid 30s. Like, yeah, yeah sure. Say, yeah, specifically within the age range, because it's like, I mean, now it's pretty common for people in the maybe not early 20s, because you do have to save. But, you know, like mid 20s going into your 40s to be traveling exactly. around the world. Exactly. Like your, your boat is a nice, decent boat. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it's normal now. Like, I mean, we, we were having a look at road because we're, we're actually based in uh, Almerimar now, which I know you guys. Oh, spent a lot no of time way! Oh. I um, moved the boat there like two weeks ago, and um, there's an area called Cabo de Gato, which is like just north of Almerimar, which is oh, we know all of it. Yeah, it's very beautiful. Some gorgeous anchorages there. So um, yeah, we just moved it there, and we were having a look at some of the boats that were like 1960s, 1970s, and it's like I was looking at them and I was thinking it, it looks like a piece of shit, but when that person bought that originally owned it, they were probably incredibly wealthy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We we were in uh, Horta with a Westerly from the early 90s, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And it was 48, a 48-foot 48 Westerly. Oh, wow. And that boat comes with a full bar. Like there is a cabinet that's just for glasses and uh, a huge cabinet for... And we're, we're looking at this 48 foot boat. It's like, it's amazing. But what is going on with the bar? Like who would want that full bar transform that into a fridge or a freezer? It's so unnecessary. But back then in the 90s, uh, you would buy a 48 foot boat. Like it was like a super yacht, yeah, right? Yeah, so you would want to entertain your guests and have that bar in there. Uh, we just live in a completely different generation where boat boating and uh, the sailing life are so popular and um 
democratized that yeah. we have really different expectations on on our on our boats so i think it's a pretty good thing even though we complain about it <laughs> yeah i think remote working has changed it um because yeah. like, if it, I, I really think that as well has made the difference especially with younger people like like yourselves now being able to travel i mean like you i know you both do completely separate businesses but they're but they're both based online um before you there was no way somebody in the 20s or 30s unless they did incredibly well or the average parents could afford to get off and go because you couldn't work as you were doing it yeah you know yeah. you go from port to port trying to paint or fish or you know something like that but um yeah now i mean especially the majority of the younger generations are catering themselves towards those type of jobs where they can work from home because everybody wants this lifestyle where you've got freedom um, yeah it, it does lend itself perfectly into traveling the world on a boat or in a van like a lot of people doing a camper van as well that seems like a really cool thing to do yeah yeah i think i think we're kind of like more in the early adopter phase and covid kind of kicked off you know like everyone's sitting at home people are like okay wait i can do this i'm doing it right now like why can't i do this off a boat and so i th there'd probably be a flood of people transitioning in the life i think one of the hard things though with the sailing life is, is really hard you know the van van life i'm sure is hard too that's even smaller space uh, we haven't done van life so i'm not i can't really comment fully but the van doesn't move at night and if it does you probably have really big problems um <laughs> uh and it, well i mean one thing i find with the boat is like and this goes into a whole nother topic which we, we don't need to get into but um you never get away from the boat so you're constantly in caretaker mode, which in, when you live in a house or maybe if you live in a van, um, you get you get to decompress from your job or you get to decompress from your partner or your kids, uh, you know, occasionally. But with the boat and if you live on it, it never stops. Even if you're in a marina, there's something going on or there's a noise or there's a banging or you got to move. You, you know, what I mean, there's just always something. And if you're on anchor like we are most of the time you know, you just never know you'd like you're really tired one night. And maybe you and your partner just had a fight. And you just want to get a good night's sleep. And that night a storm blows up, and the boats going all over the place or someone's dragged into you and you're up at like three in the morning dealing with it. And you can't get away from it. And it yeah. just makes it really hard. And I think, I think a lot of people that go into the life aren't quite mentally prepared for that, that aspect of it. Mm hmm. And I can uh, I can woefully say that we speak from experience. Yeah. <laughs> Those things have happened. I mean, we we've, we've started telling people that there's I think there's there's three aspects of living the liveaboard life, and the first piece is finding a good boat and equipping that boat in a in a good way. And everybody knows that everybody okay what boat you get how am i going to equip it everybody does a really good job with that the second piece is financially how are you going to afford this so i think a lot of people do an okay job with that you know how are we going to have jobs how are we going to pay for everything what does stuff cost there's a lot of stuff on the internet about that but the third thing that i think sophie and i have identified in the last year or so we've started talking about more is only in the last year you think <laughs> but is the the relationship and the mental aspect of a project like this. And I think that's something that many people just, they don't either know about it or think about it or decide to address. So your relationship's gonna get really challenged even if you have the strongest relationship in the world. Uh, and that's whether you're sailing offshore or you're sailing coastally or whatever, you're living in a small space with a partner and it's really hard. 
Um, and then there's the mental aspects of it. So everything from getting up at three in the morning and dealing with that. And well, yesterday, what I sold the boat twice yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty, like a weekly occurrence of selling, selling the boat. But we did not actually sell the boat. What we call a sell the boat day is when we've had <laughs> incidents and we're tired and we're just tired of this. And usually we recover from it. We're like, no, we're not actually going to sell I'm pretty sure yesterday. So I think yesterday I screamed, I'm selling this effing boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's not a it, we're not actually selling the boat yeah so i think that's the three things and i i think that that third piece is something that if you know people are listening that's something if, if you're going to devote a lot of time and energy to that is actually something that will pay for itself as you get going a lot yeah, yeah. It, i mean it's like you were saying before though like your average couple they actually don't spend that much time together i mean especially if you've got one partner who carries the weight financially they will probably spend a hell of a lot more time at the office than they, than they do at home mm. um and you know like we know loads of couples you like, i swear they genuinely do not like each other like when 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 you talk to them separately all they're doing is complaining about the other person they they don't do any social activities together they don't you know yeah. no place or their, their friendship circles are completely different um i think if you're going to do it you, you have to be able to do it with somebody who you can literally spend time in a room with even if they've really pissed you off and you know you want to talk about it or you want to work it out you know like you, you can't be in a relationship with somebody you you know you quite happily or you could quite easily walk away from if you have an argument um because it yeah means that it, it's just not going to work i uh i agree with that i also want to say that it's i don't want to sound like we have our shit together because we don't no um nobody does <laughs> exactly nobody nobody has their shit together like ryan and i fight the exact same way that yeah. uh everybody else fights and it's normal but yeah like living in a very small space with somebody who just pissed the hell out of you and i pardon my french i'm sorry you can bleep that out if if you want to um is really really difficult yeah. it is really hard you have nowhere to go and and in a lot of cases you have you don't have a lot of friends around you that you can go have a drink with and and vent to so so you end up having to be good at um talking it through yep. and go back to your partner and be like i'm really sorry about what i said like let's let's work it out let's forget about it and it's hard mm. it is it is really hard it's something that i never experienced before you and i moved on the boat but uh yeah, I mean, and even tomorrow, like Sophie's going to Paris and I'm going to go to the US for a month um, and we're taking a boat break and we're taking a, well, an us break, but it doesn't mean that we're bad or anything's going on with us. It's just, you know, all that time that I, we were just saying, you know, in a normal setting, you know, all that time you bank at the office without your partner, <laughs> we just have collectively accumulated that and we're going to cash that in now for the next month <laughs> and we need we're going to go away and create our own stories and um, then we'll come back and we'll be re-energized and have uh, lots of things to share well hopefully we talk to each other in the meantime i would hope so it's my birthday in three days yeah i hope you call i'll miss, I'll miss you. your birthday again <laughs> so yeah turkey moms. it's just uh... no no it's not cold turkey but uh, you understand yeah yeah no, it makes, I mean, I, I work from home. I have done for like four years now because I quit like the uh, corporate life and kind of brought the corporate life to my home. I do the same job um, on, a, on a much smaller scale, just with a, a few people. Um, but I, I spend every moment with my with my wife. Like I work in the living room. Um, we, we, you know, go out for breakfast, we go out for lunch. 
Um, so, but yeah, like the, the idea of living on a boat for us and traveling the world is pretty easy because it's like we, we already do it. But um, and there's, there's yeah. so many things that can happen on a boat where it's like if you if you're with someone and it's not perfect or you're not in a relationship where you both want to address issues and talk about them. So even anchoring, like you know, we 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 were anchoring up the other day, and we we dropped anchor. I, I probably I think I let out a bit too much, and we started swinging too much, and then we needed to pick it up, and it was stuck in some seagrass, and I was shouting to the back of the boat, and it's like you you can easily see how this could turn into a full blown yeah. argument. You know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah, I'm shouting so loud, it's like because the boat's moving. Yeah. yeah, and like you live in a in a in an environment that is challenging by nature, right? Like Brian and I have chosen to cross oceans, which is it's stressful. And you're sleep deprived and you know one night you're going to have big waves big swell and you're not going to sleep uh and you're not going to sleep for three days and then you take over the watch at 3 a.m in the morning and something as benign as hey ryan like i think you should wear your shoes on the foredeck can turn into a uh i'm trying to find polite words to describe it but like you get my point (laughs) exactly and then it it just can slide and it's uh you know you really have to learn how to recover from those things and realize that you know sometimes it's not your relationship it's just this extremely challenging environment that you live in that provokes those fights um we just came back from this atlantic crossing and you know we arrive it takes us 10 days to recover 10 days to go back um to normal um sleep sleep cycles and um it's a long time and in those 10 days well we were both really tired and uh we have our moments yeah so with regards to the financial situation you guys both i know you did quite set different types of jobs previously um but with regards to like moving on the boats because i know that you you started doing the youtube thing shortly after would i know you, you didn't do it immediately i, I think that was that's correct some well uh, i started i get really bored in the month leading up to our departure because it was winter and there was nothing we could do so i took this these courses in uh premiere pro and photography editing and 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 stuff so i really started documenting before we left but like about a month before i think um and it was never meant to become a professional project more like well this is what we do and i wanted to give my friends a good laugh because they never believed that we would actually pull it off <laughs> and uh, well it turned into what it is today you <laughs> <laughs> pulled it off yeah okay so d- when, when you went into this i imagine like you had a, a certain time frame in mind did you have everything financially planned out or was there an element of we're going to have to see how it goes and make some changes or come up with some ideas? No. So that is another thing where, you know, um, when you get into this lifestyle or get interested in it, it sounds like you need to have everything figured out. Uh, Ryan and I did not. We saved a lot. Uh, so I had sold my apartment and I had a little bit of capital from it. Uh, Ryan, you had some savings as well. Um, We were both making very good salaries uh, in our late 20s, early 30s in uh, Stockholm, in Sweden. Uh, We were both owning our apartments. So we did have a little bit of cash. Ryan had quit his job two years before leaving and you were already uh, established as an investment consultant. Yeah, making decent money, yeah, doing that, yeah. 
and I had just started as a freelancer doing digital marketing and social media. Uh, and the year that we left, I started YouTube as a way to explore the platform and develop my skills as a social media manager in YouTube. And um, yeah, this, so we, we didn't leave with 100% of our finances figured out, but we knew that we had a little bit of money on the side. We knew that we had projects and our motto was, we're going to do this as long as we enjoy it and as long as we can afford it. And uh, to this day, we still have fun and we still can afford it. So, I mean, to be fair, when we started the project, the original idea was just for us to take a year and do an Atlantic circuit. And yeah. I, I mean, the text message I sent you when I asked you if you wanted to do this, you know, you, you were the one that said, yeah, I could do it like maybe for a year. Yeah, it's true. Um, so we originally had not intended it to develop into what it has today, which is us it's a lifestyle it's a lifestyle we changed we changed um our thought behind it and how we want to live and so the boat kind of drove us to change how we work how we um view work uh, but also how we spend the money that we yeah. earn yeah so the boat the boat project actually was a a driver for other changes in our life as well so yeah mm. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's really good. I mean, do, was there a point where it, it kind of clicked in place where I, I suppose, you you know, you're working your way from savings into uh, like a new, uh, like a new revenue stream or like a new way of earning money, something like that. Was there a point where it clicked in place with regards to the, the exact lifestyle you have now? Not just YouTube, but I know like Ryan, you do, do, do some yeah. personal business ventures where it's like, okay, now we can maintain this for like another three years or five years, something like that. So I, I also, I'm, I'm sorry to say that, and uh, we want to keep it real. Uh, but again, sometimes we have our financial stresses, mm -hmm. you know, every month, depending on where we are and, you know, how much we are able to gather through Ryan's job or through YouTube and the expenses that we have at a given time um we're like damn are, are we gonna make it so uh, it i wouldn't say that it has ever clicked it's like this situation where we're um making money as we go but we also have a lot of expenses and we're sort of making it but also um we've definitely dived into a lot of savings we have yes <laughs> absolutely um so i don't i don't want to give this impression that you know everything is floating because it's uh it's not but i would say that for any lifestyle that you have there is always something that you're going to want to buy something that you're going to want to acquire or a goal that you're working towards and but at the end of the day you are making your lifestyle work for you and that's that's what we're doing so we we definitely do have some financial struggles sometimes not all the time at the end of the day, we have this beautiful life that we created for ourselves um, and we can still afford it because we have some income, but it's like, you know, at this limit where you're like, we, we can't save money, you know? So it, <laughs> we're making, we're making it, but it's not like, oh, we earn so much that we can save and everything is like the way that we lived on land because it's, it's not. Um, so that's about where we are. I'm, um, 
I'll call you back the day that it's that it's clicked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same in any situation. If you lived in a house, it would be exactly the same as that because yeah, it's the same. A different set yeah. of things. Yes. And when you have more, you say more. So exactly. You know, exactly. It's a it's a different lifestyle that comes with different expenses and uh, and different struggles. Mm, mm. But um, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, we we love what we do. We love our lives, and it's it's beautiful, and we make it. But it's not like it doesn't come without struggles. Right. Yeah. Mm. So in terms of the sailing, I, 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 one thing I was going to ask was like, what what was the shittest passage you've ever made? But I think it might have been the one to the Canary Islands. And you're going to do it again. So, so I hope the next one is better. Um, but after you've done the circuit and you, you found yourself back in the Caribbean, is, is, there a, is there a plan after that? Or do you just want to do this, see how it goes pending COVID? Yeah, I mean, our plan is to actually get to the US. So um, this time, this time, third time around. So we last year, we wanted to go to the Bahamas and we didn't go. Um, and so what we'd like to do this year is get to the Caribbean uh, and then go to the Bahamas and then hopefully go up to the US. And we're going to hopefully find a nice place to have a home base. We'd really like to develop a home base. We still have our apartment in Sweden. We plan on keeping that, but um, we'd like to have a, like a home base in the States. And then we would do a little bit of, we need to, Sophie needs to rack up some, some days in the United yeah. States. So we need to get some time under her belt. And then, so we'll probably do some Virgin Islands, um, Maine looks amazing. Yeah, go up north, maybe even to Canada. I know that's not the US, but um, and then you know, there's always Hawaii, there's places in the Pacific, Alaska. We, we would love to go into the Pacific, um, and that's on the radar, but I'm not, I don't think for the next few years we will well, what? go to the Pacific. Go to the Pacific, we don't know that, we don't know, but so that's that's the plan. So we want to get to the US, uh, kind of get get our home base built and established and then we're gonna then we'll decide what's next so our my big dream is to sail to japan and both ryan and i really want to sail to the pacific i don't think that we could um give up on the sailing life without going to the pacific because that's something we really 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 want to do and it's close to our hearts yeah but uh for now we have this uh green card process upon us and uh we'll have to see where that takes us but you know when we started sailing who could have predict a pandemic uh falling upon us <laughs> that has altered our plans uh substantially so you know you can have dreams but making plans at the end of the day is a it's, it's a bit difficult it's, and, I, and i think as well i mean it's affected everyone like we we've lost so I, I work in the oil and the gas industry. So like we we lost so much over the past couple of years. Yeah. We've got friends who are in hospitality, and they've probably lost everything in a, in a lot of cases. Um, and it's like when when your when your life and then your income depends on traveling. Um, the COVID restrictions have just like mm. they've ruined things. Yeah, like, yeah. destroyed things. Like, and I think like oh. now, for example, the situation you guys are in. Obviously, there's the uh, the immigration factor, but but COVID yeah. played a role in it getting to that point. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I think the boats, the boats, um, boating has always had this. Um, there's always an issue with the perception of boats. So you see a yacht come and you think it's a very rich person and they have a lot of money. It's generally not the case, but 
local people and governments don't always understand that they don't understand how voting works and as such in the covid days i think we really are the last group of people unless you go to very very specific places that rely on the boats to get the get logical and proper attention and by logical i mean like do the rules make sense for like we're just talking to some friends are trying to go to morocco right now and they have international flights flying to morocco but they won't allow pleasure boats to come and it's completely it is insane it makes no sense when you logically think through it but there are people in positions that make the decisions that aren't fully informed of what that life is and so that's been i think the hardest and the most frustrating because it's a small group of people too so they think oh well you're just really wealthy just go do something else and it's like well no this is my home and we're, we we need to find a safe place and to get that message through to people is is, is really challenging yeah would you agree yeah yeah 100 percent. it's it's a tough i remember I, we were in um i can't remember what what marina we were in but um, anyway in spain you've got a they're not really a coast guard it's called the guardia civil and yeah, yeah. Like Coast Guard is there to help, like the Guardia Civil is, isn't. Um, so, so, I, so I was talking to a guy who just pulled into the marina and uh, the wind was rough. I remember it was like 30 knots and I, we, we really struggled to, to park the boat. Um, we ended up having to get somebody to help us and like push our bow off like another person's um, anchor type of thing. So it was really challenging. And another guy came in later and he, he where, where this marina is based, um, you've basically got a, a small breakwater that like protects you from south winds so you're fine you, you, you can anchor there but there's no spots in the marina so he, he went in couldn't get a spot in the marina so he dropped anchor in this little bay and the guardian seville just came and said no fishermen are going to come here in the morning so you can't stay here you need to move and he was like i, I can't like have you not seen it's like 30 knots of wind two meter away yeah. there's no way i can go out there and he just said, yeah of course you can you got a boat just go it floats it's like what <laughs> pretty uh, pretty crazy yeah. Well, it's it's a bit it's even more crazy by the fact that the guardia civil actually has a boat themselves they should be <laughs> yeah. did you want to escort me there yeah 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 please uh, please provide with the tow over there as well call you in, yeah call you in three hours for a rescue thank you so how long are you guys staying in the azores before you make you are, are you going like mainland portugal and then heading to the canaries or are you just going to the azores nope. to the canaries we are sailing in the middle of the Atlantic. Yeah, so we'll be, we're actually leaving the boat, as I said, uh, tomorrow-ish. And yeah. we're going to take about a month long break or so uh, and come back in September. And then from there, we'll go to uh, Madeira. Yeah. We'll spend a little bit of time checking out the island here because we haven't done that. And then to Madeira, then back to the Canaries. And then, uh, you know, when we're ready, we'll head back across. Back across. So probably through Cape Verde as well. Yeah, maybe. What's what's the uh, weather? What's the best time of year for that weather window? Just going from Azores, Madeira, um, back down to the Canaries, like October. I mean, the later you get in the year, obviously, the bigger the storms, the winter storms can be. So it's it's better to get going south. But you can do this trip, you know, uh, that trip. Yeah, but the passage, excuse me, the passage from here to Madeira, if you don't stop, there's one small island about a day, half a day sail from here. Uh, if you don't stop, it's about four or five days. So that's a small enough window that you could probably find, even in the height of, you know, yeah. stronger, so you can find a window of sort that will work from Madeira to the Canaries. It's just two days or so, two and a half. Uh, so that's definitely, you can find a, a hole. 
we might have to wait a while, but yeah. So I, I think we'll be all right. They, I think Cornell suggests that you get down to the Canaries by October. Um, so that's a bit tight for us, but um, we're going to try to get down there uh, as soon as we can. And we'll spend a little time there. And then, yeah, we may actually, uh, we may actually have Sophie cross uh, in a, with herself and some girls with myself yeah so may sophie might captain the polar seal and i might hop on another boat and i'm not sure if we talked about that but um yeah, yeah. so That's we might try something new yeah <laughs> yeah yeah good yeah well listen thanks so much for your time it's, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and learning about you know a bit, bit more about your past and what's uh, what's to come so uh, yeah really appreciate it right thanks andy yeah welcome cool good